This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. God says, God says, and I'll give you a little byline to uh, walk away with. It, it, yeah, you've got something to say, and boy, how many of you know that everyone else has something to say? But at the end of the day, what really matters most about whatever topic you are considering, what really matters is what God says about it. Because what you have is an opinion, and what others have is an opinion, but what God says is the truth. And I want to be the type of believer that buys the truth, that really soaks up the truth, and I don't want to sell it. I don't want to part with it. I don't want to negotiate it. I want to have truth and truth only. And what God says matters. And this morning, uh, this particular Sunday morning, I want to preach about the antidote for insecurity. The antidote for insecurity. Let's open up with prayer this morning. I know we've had some worship which was unbelievable, by the way. The worship today was fantastic. And I know we've had a few moments of prayer, but I really want us to pray right now for the word of the Lord to be received. Let it be received. Father, I thank you for my time in the pulpit this morning. Thank you for my time of preparation. But Lord, right now I need you to do what I can't do, and that's allow this word to be received by all of these that are hearing it today. And let us not just hear it, but let us do something with it. Let us apply it. And your word is so greatly anointed. But anoint us to have the right position and posture in our heart and mind to receive what you are wanting us to hear today. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. Amen. Every single one of us that are here on this Sunday morning, we've, we've experienced insecurity. We have experienced insecurity to some degree. Uh, we have felt that weird, terrible, gut-wrenching feeling of not fitting in. We have felt that weird feeling of not keeping up. We have had that struggle down deep in our gut of not having enough. Or let me just kind of sum all that up with we've all dealt with the thought that we were not enough it's insecurity I was um, I was a pretty decent athlete during my junior high and high school years I never was the big guy on campus athletically but I could keep up in a few certain sports uh, that kind of fit the way God made me uh, one particular sport that I was very lucky to start in all throughout school was soccer. In, and in Dorita, Louisiana, our soccer was not quite as uh, skilled and precise as this World Cup that just, that just was completed. Our idea with soccer was who could kick the other person hard enough. Uh, not really the ball, but we, were wor- we, we would celebrate, you know, broken bones and hurt yeah, we really would. We would celebrate the fact that we would take somebody out. 
But uh, due to speed and size, I was, I was pretty good at that little sport for, for all throughout school. I was a starter in that particular sport. Uh, when it came to track, I did really well in track. I started all four years of high school track. I ran on two of the particular relay races, and I did pretty good in my individual meets as well. I was fairly good at track. And then in golf, in those years at least, I could pretty much keep up and and I was okay at, at the game of golf in those years. And uh, there was one sport, though, that, man, I just didn't have it. And I struggled in it. And when it came time for picking teams, inevitably, I was always the last guy to get chosen. And it was basketball. I, and I know, right, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking I'm telling you a lie because how in the world would someone so tall and slender be chosen last? I know. It was always puzzling to me too. I was always just dumbfounded by how could you overlook this type of physique for basketball? It was a struggle. You know, really, there was nothing more challenging for a teenage boy, and I, I, I can only speak for us guys, and I'm certain it would be the same for, for females, but I can just speak for us guys. There's really nothing more challenging than wanting to be good at something, especially in a sport, and you really want to do your best, and you really work at it, and you put in the time, you put in the practice, but you just never quite get there to be the first guy picked at that particular sport. And it's a, it's a weird feeling. You feel insecure. Everybody say insecurity. I remember going off to Bible college. And when I got to Bible college, there were so many talented, so many gifted students that grew up on the church pew. And when it came to ministry, when it came to church, when it came to that isolated type of thing, these kids shined. Uh, these young men, they grew up as preachers' sons. And they knew the language. They knew the dress. They knew the performance. They had it. They, they had it. They were uh, young preachers. And then when you would see the young men or young women that were in ministry of music. They were so good. They had been playing piano and guitar and drums since they were, you know, 8, 9, 12 years old. And they've been singing solos in the church services wherever they may have come from, from California, from Florida. They had been singing solos and in front of the audience for years. And it was just second nature to them, Sister Nyla. They... They had a gift, and boy, when the lights would turn on, they knew how to sing those songs. Well, in the little Bible college I went to for those few years, the big hot thing was to be in the choir because the choir was the thing to be in. If you were going to be somebody, you were going to be in the choir. And the good news was the choir was open to anyone that wanted to be a part of it. So, I mean, the first day there, I became a choir member because all the girls were in the choir. 
and uh, I, I knew what I was going to school for. I was specializing in that particular calling. And I felt that anointing coming all over me. So I got in the choir. But then a few days into the choir, the word came out that there was, a, there was another tier to this thing called music ministry. Now they had this special little group called the Corral. Man, I thought that's where you kept livestock. I didn't realize that it was a special music group called the Corral. And well, man, I was shining pretty good in the choir. Uh, I, was, I was enjoying my few days in the big choir with the hot robes that wouldn't breathe any, uh, anything at all. They were so stiffy and stuffy and, and hot. And I loved those choir robes. We would sway a little bit. We'd clap our hands on the same rhythm. And man, you could just get lost in the worship to the Lord. But then I heard about this thing called corral and I realized that it was a little bit more difficult to get in the corral because you had to try out for the corral. You couldn't just show up for the corral. You had to go through tryouts. Well, I was used to running sprints. I was used to uh, passing the baton on the relay track. I was pretty good at soccer. I could break an ankle real quick on the right slide. I had my skills, you know. I could hit a golf ball. So I thought, this is just another tryout, John. I'm used to tryouts, and I'm used to starting in pretty much everything except basketball, but who cares about basketball? That's just for a bunch of tall, dumb people anyway. So here I am. I go down to the music room, and they say, uh, just follow us on this piano. I said, okay, I'll follow you on that piano. And they started playing the scale. Brother Brandon couldn't quite follow that scale. They would say, sing us a C. And I said, C? They'd say, give us a little flat, flat. So then they asked me, what song would you like to sing? I said, I have no idea. What would you like me to sing? I was ready for my tryout. Well, the, the way they would reveal who made it into that special, that special little corral would be they would print out the names and they would place it in, a, in the hall down there in the music department. And at a certain time, they would come over the big loud announcement speaker and notify that the names were presented everybody would run down to that little music hall and, and they would read their names. So I went down there with absolute assurance that I had found that C and that I had hit that flat. And all of the cool people, all them good looking boys and them pretty girls were down there, Brother David Law. And they sat there, oh yeah, there's my name and oh yeah, there's my name. And I was just letting them have their moment where they would thin out, where I could just take all the attention and say, you see that? <laughs> well, I know that you're a smart individual and you're already ahead of the, the game on this story. But my name was nowhere to be found. Yeah, all was right. All was right. 
So I put my golf clubs on my shoulder. I tied on my soccer cleats and I got my baton. I said, let's get it on. Talking about insecurity. Then, of course, I had to put up with the, oh, man, don't worry about it. They just didn't hear, you know, they didn't hear the real you this time. Like, dude, they heard the real me. I just had to own up. I'm not going to dunk a basketball, and I sure enough can't find that tune in that song. And all of a sudden, you got insecurity rising up, wanting to be a part of something that you can't be a part of, wanting to fit in somewhere that you don't fit in, wanting to belong to something that it's not a figment of your imagination. You don't belong to it. And... All of a sudden, you have to grow up overnight and realize that, you know, there's just some things that I don't have. There's just some things that I will never possess. But yet, my flesh is not happy with that. And all of a sudden, I hear voices, and it's all coming back to the same topic. And those things are insecurity. Everybody say it one more time. Say insecurity. Our stories may be a little different. Maybe you are a great basketball player. Maybe you're a phenomenal singer. But you've struggled with the same thing. You have your particular little story about coming up short of not quite having it. What's interesting about insecurity is oftentimes we may not consider this, but I want to present it to you for your consideration. Insecurity really is one of the biggest insults to God. I didn't think about this in those years. I'm really only thinking about it now the older I get. It's a big insult to God. Because basically what my insecurities are saying to the Lord is when you put me together, you really hit a big foul ball. When you made me, you dropped it. You did not create me in your image. You created everybody else in your image, but I don't know where you were looking when you made me, but you have one eye closed. That's what insecurity is saying. Insecurity saying, God, you did so good on, on all these other people that their name's on the list. All these other people, they're in the starting five. All these other people, they're in the game or they're on the stage or they got the raise or they got the car, they got the house, they looked the part. You did so good on them, but boy, you really dropped the ball on me. That's what insecurity is basically saying. We're insulting God when we... Use these type of statements of insecurity. Go to the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah was a prophet. He was a preacher. But Jeremiah was rejected. But what's so neat about this man of God is he had this resilience. He had this 
ability to go face to face with resistance and actually endure it. What some people don't think about when they, when they hear about this man of God, they may not remember his, his real calling. His calling was to preach this hot, fiery sermon on repentance. And it was big time uh, political upheaval. And he gets up and he gets his microphone, so to speak, and he just wears them out with repentance. And he was so confident that he was going to have this unbelievable revival. This, the altars were going to be filled up and all of the Bible school uh, singers were going to hit the right note and there was going to be this unbelievable revival of repentance because he knew he had the right sermon to preach. And yet, I got news for you, Jeremiah's sermon, it was rejected. And then he was rejected. You talk about a kick in the stomach. He felt so good in his preparation. He felt so good in his gifts and his skill. And then the big one, he felt so good that he had heard from God. And he had this great anointing on him. And he preached it hot. He preached it strong. And not a soul responds to the sermon. Now look, there's a few of you that have taught publicly. There's a few of you that have preached sermons publicly. Can I just tell you as a preacher, we're the most insecure cats on the planet earth. Every single week, we're up here with a microphone trying our best to say what we feel that God has spoken to us. And then, what do we have as a litmus test? What do we have as a gauge? Well, it's silly, but it's, it's just natural. We gauge it by the response of people and let me tell you there's not a worse feeling for a preacher when not a soul responds to what you feel that God's asked you to preach it's like a car salesman that absolutely cannot sell a car to save his life it's like a plumber that cannot fix the leak to save his life it's like the school teacher that's never had a kid graduate out of their class it's the worst feeling in the world One of the worst things that ever happened to me in my ministry here at Calvary Church was one time on a Sunday morning. Man, I thought I crushed it. I thought I hit it over the fence. I thought that I absolutely just set the bar so high. I just knew angels were singing because of my unbelievable preaching ability. And there was one little elderly lady, God bless her soul, she's now, I hope, in heaven. Just being honest. She walked right up to me and she said, that was great preaching. I said, well, thank you. It would have been better if it was anointed. That hurt worse than my name not being down there in the music hall. That hurt worse than not getting picked to play basketball. And there was only, it was only three on three. There's not a worse feeling than thinking you've done your best and it not be received. And all of a sudden, 
You know, let, let's back up. Let's kind of rewind. Let's go backwards for a minute and let me make sure that we're on the right page here and what I'm trying to communicate. It's one thing to not do your best and know that you left some out there that you could have done something else with it. If that's not received, at least you can take some ownership and say, you know, I probably should have prayed more, should have studied more, should have, should have memorized better, should have been on my A game today. I missed it, but you know, I'm going to do better next time. But when you really think that you've hit a home run, and Jeremiah thought that he had hit a home run. And not only is he not received, he is persecuted. He becomes a target. He becomes mis a hated, mistreated, persecuted preacher. So what is it that Jeremiah knows that would keep him going, that would keep him sane, that would keep him energized. What did Jeremiah know that maybe I don't know or you don't know that would make him want to wake up and keep doing the very same thing over and over again, all the while not fitting in, not working out, not having enough, not, not seeming to keep up? What was it? Well, it's found in the word of the Lord, Jeremiah. Chapter 1, verse 4. Verse number 4. And oh, if you have a pen or a highlighter, figure out a way to underscore then the word of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, Before I formed you, I knew you. And before you even came out of your mother's belly, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet, a preacher, a man of God unto the nations. God told Jeremiah, I have handpicked you. You are chosen you are mine. You belong to me. What you can rest in, what you can stand on in times of rejection and insecurity, it doesn't matter what anybody else says about this. It's not up for debate. It's not left up to how you're feeling about your performance in this life. I've known you, I've sanctified you, I've ordained you. You're my man, Jeremiah. You belong to me, Jeremiah. My eyes have been upon you when you were just a thought in your mom and daddy's mind. You belong to me. Come on, somebody. I heard it said this way one time, Brother Gordon Patton, I heard it said by Tommy Barnett. I heard it said this way one time, when nothing else can keep you, preacher, your calling will keep you. 
if you know that you're called. Nothing else might keep you, but your calling will keep you. Well, this isn't just for preachers this morning. If you feel like you've come up short, if you feel like you just can't seem to get it together, if you feel like you'll never fit in, if you feel like you can never have enough, if you feel like you're always looking up just to see bottom, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what anyone else says. What God says, He says, I knew you before you were ever born. I sanctified you before you were ever come out of your mom's belly. And I've ordained you. There's something about Jeremiah that says, I'm going to keep preaching. I'm going to keep reaching. I'm going to keep serving. Where you may not receive this, you may not want this, but I don't take my I don't take my confidence from how you receive things. I take my confidence because I know that I'm called, I'm sanctified, I'm ordained, and I'm known by God. Somebody clap your hands to Jesus this morning. Jeremiah, he would know rejection. He would know rejection from those that he was preaching to, but he never would have to know rejection from the one that he was preaching about. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So if you never play basketball well, if you never can quite get on the right note, if you can never seem to put it all together, God has declared that he wants you and he knows you. You. This is the antidote to insecurity. If you're wanting to know how to get up on Monday morning, the 21st of July, and how to put it all together when nothing seems to make sense, when everything seems to be difficult, when everything seems to be going against you, it's going against you in your job, it's going against you in your own house, everything seems to be falling apart. I got a phone call this week and the opening statement on the telephone call is my world is falling apart. If you feel your world is falling apart, every single thing that you touch is breaking. Every single place you stand is sinking. Every single thing in your world is, is confused. Can I just tell you something? Why don't you get your eyes off of all of that and go back to what Jeremiah was told because God's telling you the very same thing. Before you were born, God knew you. Before you were ever uh, God sanctified you and God has ordained you. What matters is what God is saying. Let's clap our hands one more time to Jesus this morning. Nothing can kill us. Nothing can feed insecurity anymore than something dangerous called comparison. Comparison. In this time of social media, in this world of social media, no, uh, no one really. Uh, maybe there's a handful that breaks this this law that I'm speaking, but but majority of the time, when you check your 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 Twitter feed or when you look at your Facebook page and you see all of those people you're connected with, when you see them posting pictures or, or posting updates, uh, status updates, when they're, when they're posting Instagram shots, most of the time what they're sharing with the whole world, Stacy, is their Super Bowl moments. I'm guilty of it. 
son, I will flat take a picture of whatever is happening great in my life because I want everybody to know what's happening great in my life. But you think I'm going to update my Facebook status to, oh, here we go again. Me and Denora, we're having a knockdown drag out. She's got the box cutter out one more time. She's chasing me around the house with my two iron. She's going tiger on me. You really think that I'm going to Instagram a picture of my kids having a meltdown? You think I want to put on Twitter, man, my whole world's falling apart. Think I'm going to do that? Most of the stuff I put on Twitter or Instagram are the good things. And I'm wanting everybody to know about my Super Bowl moments. We're on a on just this unbelievable, gorgeous date night. My kids are breaking all the records. My, my world is perfect. The problem is a lot of people are looking at that. And they're comparing that world to their world. And trust me, I'm on the other side too. I'm seeing the people that are breaking the records. I'm seeing the, the churches that are, that are having uh, 59,000 people on Easter. I'm seeing that. And I start comparing ourselves. Denora and I, a few Wednesday nights ago, we were running a pretty tight schedule to get to church on time. And uh, Denora got off work about 5 on that particular Wednesday. And, and we were just panicking if we were going to get it all together, getting the girls a bath and trying to get them something to eat. So we made that last-minute decision to do something uh, silly, and that was go to Chick-fil-A on a Wednesday night before church here in the Bible Belt. So uh, we strapped them in the seats and we ran to Chick-fil-A and our girls were there and they were not on their very best behavior but they weren't just tearing the place up either. We were just having us a good normal time, you know. A little bit of fighting, a little bit of cussing, a little bit of repenting. Just pretty much normal. Just our everyday life, you know. Not Twitter worthy, just normal. And in walks one of our young Moms of this church, she had put in a long day. She was alone that night because her husband was still at work. And we were bumping about 6 o'clock, 6.15 if I remember right. And she walked in and she didn't really see us immediately. And her kids were having a normal day. A little bit of fussing, a little bit of cussing, a little bit knocking out, a little bit repenting and asking forgiveness. Normal life. And when she saw us, boy, she tried to put it all together. Hey, how are y'all? And we all kind of laughed about the whole thing. And this topic came up, which probably was the birth of this little sermon, or at least this point. A member of this church said, it's so good to know that it's not just my world that's tough. And we brought up social media. She said, it just looks like everybody I follow just has it together. The house is clean, home-cooked meals every night. Always running early, not late. Everything's perfect for their world. It's good to know, Pastor Tommy, that you're like sweating right now, trying to keep it together to get to church on time where you can go in the pulpit and say, praise Jesus, everybody. It's a wonderful day to be alive in Him. And it hit me. Why are we insistent to go against the Scripture's teaching? Why are we determined to break 2 Corinthians 10 and 12 where we're told 
We're, we're told, we're instructed. Don't measure yourself to anyone else. Don't compare yourself to anyone else. Why? Because it's not wise. The worst question in the world to ask is, is this wrong? The best question to ask is, is this wise? Well, it's not wise to measure yourself up to anyone else or compare yourself to anyone else. Here's what happens. We get our Instagram out and we start saying, well, I don't have a new car. Well, look at that. My kid's not winning the first place trophy. Well, look at that. My house is not spotless. Look at that. I don't, I don't have it all together. I didn't get a new haircut this week or I didn't get a raise this month. I didn't, I didn't, I'm not traveling to Europe. I'm not doing this. And all of a sudden, we start focusing not on celebrating anyone else's life. What we start doing is having insecurity rise up and we focus on everything that we don't have. We start focusing on where we're not going. We start focusing on where we don't fit in. And insecurity comes up and it's like a poison. It's like a sickness. It's a cancer. It starts eating us from the inside out. And we just toss our phone to the side. And we just start marinating our spirit in this rotten thought of everything that we're not. But can I tell you, in Jesus Christ, it's about who you are and not what you have or not have. It's about who you are, not where you're going or have not been. It's about who you are, not what you can do and what you can't do. What matters in Jesus Christ is who you are. Well, who are you? You are a son and a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ. And before you ever were, He knew you. Before you ever were, He sanctified you. Before you ever were, He's ordained you. This is the antidote to insecurity. Why can you keep preaching, Jeremiah? Why can you keep going, Jeremiah? Because it's not about what anybody else says. It's not what about my weak moment is saying. It's about what God says. And God says that I'm His. Clap your hands to Jesus Christ this morning. Clap your hands to Jesus this morning. Before you ever came to the awareness that you have limitations. Before it was ever apparent to you that you may have had defects. Before it was ever apparent to you that you may not have it all. And that you may not be all. Before you ever came into the clear understanding that there's other people smarter than you. That has more money than you. That, that, that's better looking than you. There's other people that have a lot of stuff that you'll never have. Before it ever became apparent to you that that was who you really were. God still knew you. Did you catch this about Jeremiah? God ordained him as a prophet before he ever preached a sermon. What do we do? Well, I need to hear him preach first. That way I can determine if he's got the it. I need to hear her sing first before we can say that she's got it. We've got to see those SAT scores. We've got to have that third interview. We've got to prove ourselves in this light and in that light before we can ever pass our check mark off that they've got the it. 
God says you've got the it before you ever preach a sermon, sing a song, close a deal as an agent, before you ever sell a car, before you ever fix a flat, before you ever fix a leak, before you ever teach a subject in school, before you ever do whatever it is you do, before you ever did it, God says you've got the it because you've got me. Did you catch that? And God says, I'll always have you because I've always have. You belong to me. Stand with me this morning. Let me hear a little bit of that song. Not, don't sing it. Just let me hear it. I want to hear this song we're going to sing this morning. I want to feel it in my spirit. I want somebody to get a hold of this. It matters what God says about you. God says in Ephesians chapter 2 that you're his masterpiece. God says in Ephesians 2 that you're his workmanship. God says in 2 Corinthians that you're established. God says in John 6 that you're sealed with his promise. God says in Colossians chapter 1 that you're redeemed. Somebody say amen. This is what you may be saying. You may say, well, Pastor Tommy, I don't really feel... I don't really feel too good about myself right now. But God says in John that you're loved by Him. You may be saying right now, this may be what you're saying today. You may have put it on Twitter this morning. I don't seem to be gaining any ground in this battle that I'm fighting. But God says in Romans chapter 8 that you're more than a conqueror. You may be saying, I don't have any confidence in myself. But God says you're strong and you're courageous. You may say, I can't fix this problem that I'm dealing with. But God says in 1 Peter that you're healed and that you're made whole in Jesus' name. You may be saying that I don't have enough, but God says I've got plenty and it's running over. You may say I may never be, but God says I am that I am. You are a son and a daughter of God, and it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what anybody else is going to say. All that matters is what God's saying. And God's saying that you are 